Welcome to Mindful Talk, brief conversations about mindfulness in the workplace and at home. I am your host, Lauren Wessinger. And I'm your host, Misty Anderson. And this podcast is brought to you by The Mindful Project. The Mindful Project helps you elevate the culture of your business by bringing mindfulness practice to you and your staff through in-person and virtual learning. Contact us through our website, themindfulproject.co, for more information. Welcome to Conflict with Kids at Home. Hi, Lauren. Hi. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Oh, we're still talking about the kiddos today. I think it's the ever-evolving conversation. You know, when my husband and I go out to date night, um, we try to only talk about the kids like 25% of the time (laughs) because there is more to, to our relationship than our children. And we have to make sure of that. I know. Uh, I agree. We were just away and we made a pact for the weekend. We weren't going to talk about them. And we did. It was really nice. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about what happens when we have conflict at home. And I mean, we had conflict today. (laughs) So great topic. I'm sure every, I'm sure you have, like, it's, um, it's, it's a lot to have all these people under your roof with different expectations, different ages, different views of the world. And then everybody's just supposed to come together and harmoniously live in Kumbaya. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, I've Kumbaya. <laughs> definitely not like that. That's like the 30 minute shows you see on sitcoms. You know, ours isn't either. I think that's a really good point to open with. People say all the time, things to me, which is really sweet, but they're, they're like, wow, I can't wait to see who you, who your kids grow up to be being raised by you. You guys must have the most mindful household. La, la, la. I'm like, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we really don't. And I fly off the handle all the time. And my kids are always fighting and my kids know all the bad words because of me in the car driving. I mean, it is not this picture of serenity by any means. And Yes, we keep a mindful home and we talk things through and I give them tools to self-regulate and I self-regulate myself all the time. So I think it's important that to know that the whole picture, the whole thing is part of having a mindful family, not just the good stuff. Oh, I agree. Like learning from the lessons and listening to each other when someone tells you something that they don't like that you do or, right. you know, the way you talk to them, et cetera. I agree. It's, it's a bit way bigger picture than that. And like we say, in nearly epi- every episode, it starts with you. So the parents, you know, your kids aren't going to be able to ground themselves in conflict if you can't ground yourself in conflict. Yep. Your kids will deal with conflict the way you do as the parent at home. Their little nervous system is completely dependent on yours from from infancy all the way till they leave the house, the state of your nervous system is informing theirs with no words, with, with no actions. It's just an inner state. This is all neuroscience, not just stuff I'm making up. And so, yeah, it starts with us. It starts with us as the example, as the grounded, stable, forgiving, apologizing parent. Man, the apologizing is so important. So mm-hmm. when when we have times of conflict at our house and I 
find myself in a situation where I'm acting how I wouldn't want to act, like I either yell or I'm just rushed or something, um, I always take a step back. I let her, whoever the kid is, her, <laughs> deal with their stuff. I go deal with my stuff. I get myself back to a place. I give her time to get herself together. And then I always go in. And I, don't, I read this somewhere and I just follow it. It's really simple. Give them space. Come in physically. Like touch her in some way. Whether it be my hand on her leg, my hand on her back. Kissing her forehead. Giving her a hug. Pulling her in. And then looking at her and saying, I am terribly sorry. It is never okay for someone to yell at another person. That's not okay. And mommy should not do that either. And I'm very sorry. And, you know, she always like just kind of nods her head and accepts it and is so forgiving. And it always amazes me. But there have been times when I haven't done that. And that whole conflict has drug on all day. Mm -hmm. And I could have nipped it in the bud by simply doing what I would do to another human because they're just tiny humans and saying, I'm sorry. Because if I said the, if I did that to my husband, oh my gosh, if I yelled at Barrett, I would feel awful. And then I would definitely apologize. And I would probably go make him something special to eat. And, you know, it's no different with my kid. They, and they receive it. What I mainly always think about to myself is how I speak to them, how we speak to them is how they interpret the rest of the world gets to speak to them. Mm -hmm. And I do, I never want my girls to have anyone, man or woman, yell at them in their face, you know, like that's not okay. And so they need to know that boundary of it's not okay. And me apologizing and admitting my mistakes, showing it's okay. Mommy makes mistakes. You can make mistakes, but you say you're sorry for them or you apologize or you say how you feel and you work through it. It speeds up the conflict resolution way faster than me being like, which I've done. Oh, everybody yells. I got yelled at. I got yelled at a lot. I'm fine. It's fine. Just leave it alone. Let her stew and she'll come back down, which I've totally done. But then she comes down and she's like mopey and dragging around me and bringing that whole attitude to the rest of the house. And it just changes everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think apologizing to our kids is um, a sort of thing of our generation I don't know. I, I don't know if my parents ever apologized to me. I don't no. think they did, but it goes so far. And I think as parents too, you know, we're going to say things we don't mean we're going to yell. It's part of being alive and having tiny humans in the house who push our buttons more than anything else on the planet. But I, one thing that I, I've said a lot of things that I wish I could take back, you know, but one thing that I always try to remember is to not make it personal and to not shame them for who they are. And I feel I've made some mistakes, of course, as anybody would, but I feel like I've generally done a good job with that. It's the whole, like, you're not a bad person, but you did a yes. bad thing. Yes. Because words are from us are so tied to their self-identity. Yeah. And so I've never called my kids stupid or anything like that ever. But if a parent is saying like, how could you be so stupid? That's saying you are stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Or 
or I've said this, like, how can you not know this? Like I've said that, like the passive aggressive, um, passive aggressive way of saying dumb or stupid, but not using the word. How could you not, how could you not know better? Like you're old enough to blah, 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 you know? And so in the apology, if I have crossed a boundary of mine that I never want to cross, but happens sometimes I'll say, look, you know how amazing you are and how proud of you I am. And, and how much I love your mind and your heart. When I got mad, I wasn't saying that you were X, Y, Z. I was just mad at the action that you took. Yeah. And I wanted you to make a different decision and you didn't, and it's okay. And let's move on, you know? So I think the words we're choosing with them, like my number one thing when I'm so pissed that I'm seeing red and I can barely think is I always have enough wherewithal to not shame them and their humanity. And I think if we can just do that, we're, we're doing pretty well as parents, you know, you're absolutely right. I, mine comes in the form of your four-year-old sister knows how to do this and knew right. better. No, 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 Missy. Yes. she's not her. And they're going to have different struggles and different strengths and don't compare her. That's mine. And right. so I go back and tell her, Hey, you're amazing. You're a great seven-year-old. You messed up and it's okay. You learn and you do better next time. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, like, there's so many little ways that my four-year-old just is, I don't know, she's just elevated and she just gets it. And she's the second kid. She's watched the first one fumble around and she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Better way to do this. I'm doing it this way. So oftentimes she just finds a quicker, easier way to do something. And she kind of is like, hey, 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 to the older one. And it's very easy for me to say, are you kidding me? Like this, the four-year-old could do that, but you couldn't. So I'm very, just like you said about what you, I'm very aware of that and making mm-hmm. sure that I don't cross that boundary because I want her to know everyone grows and changes and develops in their own way. And at the end of the day, she will be a grown person that can tie her shoes and do the things she's supposed to, you know, right. but it, it, it comes from me being in a good place. And if I'm not in a good place, none of that happens. None of it. If I don't practice my mindfulness, my meditation, getting on my yoga mat, staying connected to those that support me, getting outside and walking, eating healthy, drinking water. If I don't do those things, literally all of those things, then I come at it of a place of impatience and blaming and shaming. And it's not good. And I and when it happens, I recognize it and I know that's not what I want. That's not what I want. And so I have to be mindfully aware of it all times because obviously they're not going to be. They're little no. kids. They don't. It's everything in their world. We we forget and our um, our pediatrician and our therapist reminds us often about, you know, they're in their tiny little narcissists. They don't, they think the world literally revolves around them. And it's until like, I want to say she said age 14, which mm-hmm. is like, oh my gosh. Yeah, their brain isn't there yet. Yeah. That they're, they're like literally stuck in that perpetual go to bed, wake up new day, start it all over again. Oh yeah. I forgot about, I'm not supposed to do that. You know, and, right. and I expect my almost eight year old to figure it out. It's like, come on, Misty. So the smart, balanced, well-rested 
you know, did everything she was supposed to care for her body knows that, but really pissed off in the moment, hasn't taken care of myself. I didn't eat today. I didn't go outside, blah, blah, blah. I come at it at a way different angle and that conflict can spill over in so many ways. And I know, you know, that it can be like the nothingness spills over and suddenly, you know, you're leaving a restaurant (laughs) or you're leaving your grocery cart in the middle of the aisle with a whole bunch of groceries which I've done many times because of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to remember too, that a lot of their behavior is a stress response. Yes. And so when we're trying to give them some kind of disciplinary bottom line, or we're trying to talk something out with them, but they're, if they're stuck in brainstem, which is just another word for fight or flight, they're not hearing it. They're not physically or biologically able to hear you and do what you're saying. And so a lot of times we just have to not get down on their level, but stay on our parent evolved nervous system, evolved brain level and just say, okay, they're stuck in stress response. They're having a moment. Nothing I say right now is going to work. I have to change their environment. I have to get them out of this restaurant or outside and to not take it personal. Like I can't even tell you how much I wish I knew this when I was a younger parent that it's not about us. Their reaction isn't about us. Their, their words and all of that, like it's not personal. They're just figuring out their limits and their boundaries. And anybody who is entering teenagehood, if you hear nothing else from this, remember that it's not personal. And the more you can let slide off your back, that isn't your job to fix, the more they're going to feel this safe container to be who they are. Tantrums and all tantrums change from toddlerhood to teenagehood, of course, but um, it's not personal at all. They're just figuring out their place in the world and how to navigate big feeling. And, and our job is to not get down in the dirt with them all the time and get reactive to their human humanity, but just to, just to be there, just to be the container to apologize. And we do a bad job, you know, our, um, I love what you said because our pediatricians told us that you were talking about the fight or flight. So like, let's say Ella's supposed to be getting her shoes on, right. That along the way, she's going to pet the dog and grab her backpack and then go back and pet the dog and like, you know, grab her breakfast bar. And she's like ping ponging. And I'm like, go get your shoes on. When I keep at her and like dig, you know, get your shoes on. Ella, I asked you to get your shoes on. Come on. Are you kidding me? You're going to be late. As soon as I start that, I see her speed up and I see her fumbling and she can't do it. So I was telling a pediatrician this and she said, You need to say one word commands in times of stressful situations because they can process that, they can hear it, and they don't hear all the Charlie Brown stuff because that's what they're hearing when you're doing that. They're not hearing, get my shoes on, they're hearing, wah, 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 It's like underwater. And so, honestly, in the mornings, I go, shoes on, and it's forceful, and it's loud, and then she goes and gets her shoes on. And when there's something going on that they're not supposed to be doing, running in the house, whatever it is, stop. If you hear stop, what do you do? You stop what you're doing, especially if it's somewhat forceful and, you know, means authoritative. Um, And they'll stop. And I'm able to say, guys, can you please quit running? 
instead of stop running in the house, you know, which is mm-hmm. my default or used to be my default. And I don't want to holler, stop running in the house for the next six years. You know, it's such a good exercise. It's like what we teach teachers who are learning to teach yoga. Like just let go of all the narrative and the fluff and just say what you're trying to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just, just be succinct and clear and leave it at that. Yeah. Because it's true. We can only process so many words when we're doing something physical. Yeah. That's the key is that we're not just sitting there listening to a lecture. We're in the midst of a moment doing something physical, whether it's getting your shoes on or, or practicing yoga. And, and I think it's a really great exercise in communication. Yeah. With communication, I, I'm really big on expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been that way, just in regards to when you're going somewhere, you're going to be with somebody else, you're going to school. Like, what are your expectations? What am I expected to do here? And like restaurants, for example, like we don't give our kids tablets or anything if we go to a restaurant. So we have to make clear expectations about what you do in a restaurant. You sit in your chair the entire time, which seems really hard for kids. But if you let them know, you're going to sit there, we're going to eat. Now, can you please get a bag together of all the things you might want to carry to entertain yourself during dinner? And they will. They'll get their coloring book, a little baby, whatever it is, some Legos, and they do their thing while we eat. And it's not always just as easy as I said, but for the most part, they know that that's what their expectations are. And I find, especially when they're smaller, just like you have to set those boundaries. I know you don't have to do that anymore, but I know you did when they were little. I do with, uh, with my 10, oh, 11 as of yesterday with my 11 year old. (laughs) Yeah. She packs a bag. Most places we go. Um, and less for restaurants now, but you know, it's, we're still not in the clear with restaurants and just the food drama, which is a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I think, uh, getting prepared, having expectations, like all of that helps create the container for, for connection during a meal, but it is hard when they're younger, you know, they get squirrely and their attention span is just shorter and Yeah. I was really impressed recently. We went somewhere and this is a place I wasn't coming to dinner with my whole goodness misty, right? I think I was just impatient. We needed to eat. It was like one of those times, like this isn't a dining out experience. We need to physically feed our face, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was getting so annoyed with them. They were like bouncing on the seats and I was just getting frustrated. And I looked at Barrett and I said, can we just give him a phone? Yeah. And he surprised me. He goes, no, no. Mm-hmm. And I always, th- for, I don't know why I always thought I cared about it more than he did, but he cares about it just as much as I do, which is stupid to assume, but he does. And he doesn't want that to be at the table. He's like, you do it once Misty, you know, that it is a slippery slope. Like mm-hmm. he's right. Gonna, we're not going to do it. Yeah. We don't do it. We don't sit there and look at our phones while we're eating. Um, and, and that's what we tell the girls, like, we don't look at our phones while we're eating. You're not going to look at your phones. Mm-hmm. While you're eating. The purpose of eating together is to be together. When we go home, you can go to your own rooms and spread out, but right now we're going to sit together. Yeah. So it's, but you have to set that. I mean, that is like you taking control of that situation, but it's right. also being prepared. Like j- you just said, packing a bag, letting them know they w- 
to be prepared, have the mindset. You're going to be sitting through dinner. What would you like to be doing during dinner? Cause you're not going to be watching any tablets or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's a good hard and fast rule. I will say I, I say never. And then I break the rule. We were in Arizona for spring break and we had traveled that day. It was 10 o'clock at night for Sloan. And we were at dinner at a restaurant with six adults and we hadn't seen each other in two years. And I was like, this girl is miserable. I was like, Sloan, do you want to watch a show on my phone? She's like, can I, I was like, yeah. And she, you know, she just was too tired to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And it's also travel, travel. All the rules go out the window. All the rules go out the window, (laughs) get there and survive. You know, you can, you can detect on the flip side, travel all and doctor's appointments. Those are are mine. Cause sometimes I have to take the kids and I need to listen to the doctor and the doctor needs to listen to me and they can't listen to my kid. So there are appropriate places for it, but gosh, darn it. You have to, it, it can create a lot of conflict. So I think some of our takeaways from today are to honestly, I think of it as respect, like respect your kid enough to apologize to them when you have messed up. Number one, number two, get mad if you need to, like nobody's going to ever be perfect in this journey of parenting, but do your best to use language that doesn't shame who they are as a human. And if you do apologize about that, Mm -hmm. And then I think number three, you know, when our little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to not add to their chaos, but it's our job to just share our calm, which only comes, as you said, from taking care of ourselves, stabilizing our own mind, clearing out our own stress through exercise and nourishing and sleeping. And really just, I always say this, but it's so true. Like we're the container for them having this real big human experience And it's not personal. It's not personal. Even if they tell us they hate us, which that hasn't happened to me yet, but I'm guessing maybe with a girl in teenagehood, it might, but it's not personal. It's just not. And we have to let go of a lot of, as parents and just move on. Yeah. I'm very deep into the, I hate you stage because they they're learning that words hurt Mm -hmm. but i turned i saw it on dr phil of all things he said flip the narrative i love you that's a big feeling i will talk about it soon and that's what i say and then i let them stew and then usually the small one that says it all the time is like i love you so they don't mean it they so don't but being the container just like you said because it does hurt me every silly time they say it sure um, but i have to pretend it doesn't Right. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I like talking about kids with you because it makes me feel, I'm sure everyone, it makes me feel like I'm not alone and all the situations are the same in some way. Um, But it's up to us to, I think that's why we wanted to talk about these parenting topics is because it is so personal and what goes on in your house, you know, is so just like what she was saying, people want to think that we have these ultra mindful families and that we do everything the right way. And we don't, but we are being mindful and we're practicing that ourselves. And then we're also practicing it with our families, which you guys can too. So I really appreciate everybody listening to this. Thanks, Missy. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Mindful Talk. We don't take it lightly that you spent your time listening to our podcast, and we are forever grateful. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Welcome to a more mindful way of living and working.